just when you thought there was no hope for baby boomers. It's the Rational Boomer Podcast. Logic, common sense, compassion. Yeah, who knew? Now, here's Mike. We are back on the Rational Boomer Podcast. Hopefully your day is going well. It is Friday. We had a busy day Thursday. The Queen died. Steve Bannon did a perp walk. And the DOJ is talking about appealing the decision of Judge Aileen Cannon to bring in a special master to uh, look into the top secret documents that Donald Trump stole. So a lot of things happening. We've got a lot to talk about on this show, and we'll get to that momentarily. Just some uh, house cleaning here. I will tell you that I'm doing a podcast with a listener. I believe her name's Emmy. That's later on today. And then even later on today, I'm going to do yet another podcast with Ed. So those will all be upcoming in the process here with the Rational Boomer podcast. And of course, I have some emails to start things off today, as I almost always do. This first one comes from Leslie. She says, Dear Mike, I'm a Gen Xer who started following you on TikTok and adored your content so much that I branched out and started listening to your podcast. Well, thank you very much. I've never been a fan of podcasts and don't listen to any others, but now I'm addicted to yours and I rely on it to uh, get a summary of and a liberal take on the news of the day. I wish you luck on finding a Trumplefuck to debate and glad your surgery went well. Lastly, can you please explain SCIF in context to the references to Mar-a-Lago? Thanks so much, Leslie. I got two answers for you. First of all, a Trump to come on a show. I think I told you in a previous podcast, I ran into somebody on Facebook, somebody I've known quite a while. He's a younger fellow, but he is a big time Trump humper. I know a fair amount about him. He has no business being a Trump humper. He doesn't exactly understand why he is, I don't think. And he was talking about coming on the show, and then he wanted me to come on his show. And I said, absolutely, I'll come on your show if that's what you really want. And I said, we could do it Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Well, it's Thursday today, or yesterday, and now it's Friday. And yesterday, I I hadn't heard back from him, oddly enough. And I said, dude, where are you? He goes, I'm here. I said, well, are we going to do the show or what? Are we going to talk? Uh, yeah. And I said, well, we can do it on Friday. Actually, I told him we could do it on Thursday, Friday. Or I would have done it last night, too, um, prior to doing this show. And he says, okay. <laughs> then I don't hear from him again. I can I can assure you, no matter what Trump LaFuck sits down in front of me or lines up with me on Zoom, they are not going to have a pleasant experience because they're going to have somebody who understands how to talk to them as opposed to these arguing matches. There'll be none of that. It'll be very calm. And I'm really looking forward to the prospect of talking to some Trump LaFuck right here on Rational Boomer. Um, and I hoped it would be this guy. But I think he's bailing on me for a second time. Now, this is a perfect record. I must have talked to maybe 10 different Trump LaFucks over the last four years. Every one of them says, oh, yeah, I'll debate you. I'll make you look silly. And then when it comes down to it, no show. My kid's sick. Oh, I've got some technical problems every goddamn time. It's almost laughable now. And uh, what's interesting, the kid, and I say he's a kid, he's not really a kid anymore, but when I first knew him, he was a kid. Um, I know he's probably listening to this podcast right now, so he's probably getting all butthurt that I'm calling him out. Well, dude, if you're listening, here's the deal. I told you, you could come on the show anytime. Take me to task. Teach me a lesson. Give me what for. And you always seem to think that you're smarter than me, so it shouldn't be a problem. But for some reason, you refuse 
to actually pull the trigger. Here's what I would do. Pull the trigger, come on the show, and we'll talk. And then, if you want me on your show, if that weren't enough, I will come on your show and the same thing will happen. See, the thing is, I'm dealing with truth, what's righteous, what's real, what are facts. And what you're talking about is all fantasy and bullshit and corruption and criminality. There is no way you can win that argument because you're in the wrong. And I'll be happy to point it out to you and expose you for what you are. That said, that probably doesn't entice you to come on the show anymore, but you folks seem so sure of yourself, so sure that you can take us apart. Lying liberals. Well, here's your chance, pal. I've asked you three times in this go-round. I asked you three times, four times in the first go-round. And you still haven't showed yet. Come on, man. Show me what you got. All right, Leslie asked another question, and I think this deserves some explanation. She said, please explain skiff in context to references to Mar-a-Lago. Well, skiff is spelled C or S-C-I-F. It's an acronym. It's not a word. It's an acronym. And there is no skiff at Mar-a-Lago, and that is the problem. A skiff you would find in the Capitol or the White House or something like that. And what SCIF stands for is Sensitive Compartmented Information Facility. A SCIF or Sensitive Compartmented Information Facility is a secure place where sensitive information can be viewed and discussed to prevent outside surveillance or spying. SCIFs can either be permanent or temporary when lawmakers or military officials needed to be briefed while traveling. So... What they have to do is they have to go to quite a lot of lengths to make sure a given room is secure enough to be regarded as a skiff. I mean, that's how important and how sensitive these documents are. Not only should the average Joe not be reading them, they should not be taken out of said skiff. That's why it's so egregious as to what Donald Trump did. He not only is reading it when he shouldn't, handing it out to other people to read when he shouldn't, he's taking these documents out of the White House, out of a skiff, and parked them in the basement of his fucking golf club. Now, here's the other thing that's come into problem, that's, that's a big problem with this. Not only does he bring them down there while he's there, but then in the summer months, he goes up to New Jersey for three or four or five months and just leaves this shit sitting there. All of this is highly illegal, and there is no question that he is guilty of this. But Leslie, just so you know, a skiff is a secure room where no surveillance and no spying could go on because it's been checked and protected so these documents could be read. Hopefully, that answers your question. Next one comes from David in Houston. He says, Hi, Mike. I was listening to your podcast today, and something just is not adding up in my mind in regards to the top-secret documents that Trump stole after his presidency. These highly classified documents have been in Trump's possession for several years. After all this time, we are led to believe that the DOJ and National Archives seemingly did not know what documents were missing and their relevance to our national security. At best, this would make them inept. They do know, however, as to the type of person Trump is in regards to his lack of character and narcissism. I don't consider myself a conspiracy theorist type person, but I have to wonder if the original documents were swapped out with planted documents before Trump stole them. This would help to explain the DOJ's lack of urgency to retrieve the documents and their willingness to negotiate with Trump all these months. Also, Garland flying around the world meeting with our allies to assure them that we have it under control. I'm not sure he was doing that. Feel free at this point to call me crazy. I will not be offended. (laughs) Well, I won't call you crazy. You bring up some good points. And that's always been my question, too. If we've got these documents that are so well guarded and kept in a skiff, for example, how is it that Donald Trump could grab these things up? 
put them in a box and take them to Florida. That makes no sense. In fact, I heard an interview with Hillary Clinton, and she had some experiences with top secret documents. And she said the way it would work uh, when it didn't have to be in a skiff, she would be in her office or someplace, and a guy would come in with a briefcase handcuffed to his arm. He'd open the briefcase, hand her the document. She would read the document. She would then have to put the document back in the briefcase. And he was watching the whole time. And when she did, he closed the briefcase and walked the fuck out. So I think that's a legitimate question. How is it that Donald Trump had the freedom to just grab these things up, put them in a a, um, folder or a box, and just walk out with them? This kind of goes to what I was saying before. Now, Donald Trump is definitely going down for this. He is the culprit. He is the criminal. But none of this could have been done without the help of other people. And granted, these people were probably working at the direction of Donald Trump, but what's the law is the law, regardless if your boss tells you to break it or not. So clearly there were people around him that were helping him access these things and also take them the fuck out of there. Does this show the DOJ and the FBI is inept? I don't know. I don't know. And, you know, that's the important thing here. What we know about those documents is minuscule. We, we know they're top secret. We know they are sensitive. We know that they are dangerous to be leaked out to other folks. We don't know fully what's in the documents. And we don't know all that's around the investigation. For example, I've thought for a long time that the DOJ knows obviously a lot about these documents, has been trying to get them back for seven months uh, after they knew that Donald Trump lied to him, to them. But I have to wonder if they don't already know a lot of stuff and it's all part of the investigation and it's not stuff we're hearing about. Like, who was involved in getting these documents to Donald Trump? Who were the people that allowed him to take them out of the building? And possibly who Donald Trump has already showed these to. I have a feeling there is some knowledge there, some things we don't know. And I think when it all comes out, I think we will find that this is probably the greatest national security breach in the history of this country. Donald Trump will go down for it, and he'll be forever remembered as a treasonist. I guarantee you that's how this is going to go down. We know a little bit about those documents, but we don't know everything, not even close to everything. And there's a lot of things we need to learn. The idea of president can box things up and take them home to his place in Florida or wherever that president lives is fucking outrageous. I mean, but it kind of goes... To what I've said about the whole presidency with Donald Trump, Donald Trump kept breaking norms. These weren't laws, but they were norms that all presidents followed. They never broke the norms. And the reason they didn't break the norms is because they knew that there would be some accountability. There would be some punishment for it. So normal people would just follow the norms. But from the moment Donald Trump entered the Oval Office, He started breaking norms. He started doing shit no president would do. And guess what? Nothing fucking happened. The Republican Senate saved him. The DOJ and William Barr protected him. And all these norms that everybody thought for years and years nobody would break because of the hell that would come down on him didn't with Donald Trump. And I think this kind of plays into these documents, too. The norm is this is what you do. You keep him in the skiff. You got some guy with a briefcase handcuffed to his wrist. The president or the secretary of state or the vice president looks at it, and it's put back where it's supposed to be. That would be the norm. And I'm guessing, like Donald Trump broke a lot of other norms, he broke these norms. And the most frightening thing we have to understand about this is, as much as these norms were respected by most other people, they weren't in this case. And the fears that other people had about breaking those norms doesn't exist. It's fucking toothless.
There is no accountability. You tell me that no one is above the law. Well, that's absolute bullshit because we know they won't indict a sitting president, whether it be Donald Trump, Joe Biden, JFK Jr. Doesn't matter. They won't indict a president because of some memo in the DOJ. So by virtue of not be willing to indict a sitting president, that means a sitting president is above the law. Now, the question is, once they leave office, are they still immune? Well, no, of course not. Mueller said that in his testimony regarding the Mueller report. Donald Trump could certainly be tried for obstruction of justice because in the Mueller report, he committed 10 occasions of obstruction of justice. Donald Trump and all the Trump would like you to believe he was exonerated, and that's not the case at all. He did um, commit obstruction of justice 10 times, and Mueller did say after he's no longer president, he could be prosecuted. But Donald Trump, from the beginning, broke all these norms. And in spite of what people in Washington, D.C., in Congress, in the White House, thought that, man, you don't break those norms because shit will come raining down on you. Well, funny thing is, Donald Trump steps in, breaks those norms, and fuck all happens. Nothing happens. So when I say this is going to be exposed as the greatest national security breach in the history of America, there's a lot of things that are going to happen. Donald Trump is going to get taken down. The people who assisted him are going to be taken down. But our government, our DOJ, our FBI, our White House are all going to be under the microscope. As much as we've got to hold Donald Trump accountable for the crimes he committed, we need to take a look at these fucking norms and maybe change them to laws. Maybe make it so that a sitting president can be indicted. By virtue of him being indicted, maybe they won't, he or she won't fuck around and do illegal shit. If you think you're completely immune from any kind of prosecution or accountability, if you're a kind of person like Donald Trump, well, you're willing to push it. And Donald Trump did push it. So I think our government has been exposed as being toothless when it comes to dealing with criminal activity, not only in the White House, but in Congress, too. There are all these little things, well, we'll let this slide or we'll let that slide. Well, I think we learned a lot. We've suffered a lot, and a lot of damage has been done to this country. So as much as Donald Trump and the people around him have to be prosecuted, convicted, and put in jail, we need to look at the system and change this fucking system because this could happen again. All right, the big story of the day, Queen Elizabeth II, the world's second longest reigning monarch, died Thursday at the age of 96. Now, here's the deal. Obviously, people in Great Britain, England, whatever you want to call it, were upset about this. They feel a kinship to the queen. They went around on the streets talking to people saying, what'd you think when you heard the news? People were sad. People were upset. Some people didn't give a fuck because not everybody loves the royal family. But what I thought was strange is there was a lot of people who said, oh, I'm shocked. What? You're shocked? You got a 96-year-old woman. Yes, she's the queen, but she's a woman. A 96-year-old woman who has reigned as the queen of Great Britain or England for 70 years. Last few months, she's been kind of ill, and she passes away. That should not surprise anybody. She had a good run. She had a real good run. And I'm sorry she passed away, but here's the deal. You got to think, and this was my joke on TikTok, and I'm surprised I didn't get more heat for it. The now king of England or Great Britain or whatever it is, um, is Prince Charles. He's now King Charles. Now, Charles has been waiting to become the king for a long fucking time. I remember when I was in my teens and people saying, yeah, Prince Charles, the heir apparent, in a short time, he'll be the king of England. Here I am, 62 years of age, and now he's just becoming king. And he's 73 years old. The joke was, I can just imagine 
uh, Prince Charles, now King Charles, in his bedroom or a chamber someplace, dancing around in his underwear, lip-syncing to Lizzo's It's About Damn Time. (laughs) This poor bastard's been waiting 73 years to be king of his country, and now he's finally gotten there. People said to me, well, that's disrespectful of the queen. Now, wait a minute here. I don't live in Great Britain. I'm not a subject of the queen. I don't know fuck all about the royal family, and I don't care because it has really no bearing on us here. I know she's beloved by a lot of people in England, and uh, they have a right to grieve her any way they want. And I'll be honest, I have some respect for the woman, just by virtue of how long she's been around. She's reigned as queen for 70 years. She's met and known every U.S. president since Harry Truman. Well, that's fucking amazing. She's been involved in world politics. She's been involved in some good things. She's been involved in some bad things. But she's been there all these years. And she's been successful as a queen, for whatever that is. I don't know what a queen does anymore. They do have a government. She's head of state. I don't know if it's uh, just a figurehead or if she's really involved in politics. I don't know. And I don't care because I don't live in England. Now, for those of you folks that do live in England that are listening to the podcast, please don't see that as disrespect. I mean, here's the deal. As much as it's sad that the Queen died, and I extend my condolences to all of Great Britain and to all of the royal family. I'm sorry. I know what it's like to have somebody die in your family, and it's a sad thing, and I can appreciate that. But let's be honest. In this country, we got a lot of shit going on, some scary shit, some bad shit. So I'm sorry if I'm not going to spend the week worrying about the death of the Queen of England and the ascension of Prince Charles to King Charles. It doesn't, it doesn't matter to me. We've got a former president that's trying to destroy this country, overthrow our government, and to release top-secret documents to our adversarial countries. I'm a little more concerned about that. It is a notable news story, and that's why I'm talking about it. The Queen died peacefully at Balmoral this afternoon, one of her homes. The palace said Thursday, the King and the Queen consort will remain at Balmoral this evening and will return to London today. Elizabeth, who was Britain's oldest monarch and served as Queen for a record 70 years, is survived by her four children, eight grandchildren, and 12 great-grandchildren. Her late husband of 73 years, Prince Philip, died on April 9, 2021. So they get to get back together. That's good news. Elizabeth's oldest son, Prince Charles, succeeds her as a sovereign of the United Kingdom. As king, he also takes her titles, Defender of the Faith and Supreme Governor of the Church of England. Elizabeth's grandson, Prince William, and his son, Prince George, are now the first and second to the throne, respectively. The monarch also served as head of the Commonwealth, which consists of over 50 countries during her reign. Though this role is not hereditary, Charles was approved as his mother's successor, by the group's head of government in April 2018. Elizabeth had told the group it was her sincere wish for Charles to succeed her, which kind of surprises me. You know, I didn't think she was feeling Charles that much as far as being uh, king. I mean, she waited till she was 96. Now, in December 2007, Elizabeth surpassed the record for the longest-living U.K. monarch set by her great-great-grandmother, Queen Victoria, who died in 1901 at the age of 81. In September 2015, Elizabeth became the longest-reigning British monarch. Victoria, the former title holder, had reigned for 63 years. Elizabeth was the world's second longest reigning monarch after Louis XIV of France. 
in February 2017, she celebrated her Sapphire Jubilee, the first British monarch to do so. That November, she became the first British monarch to celebrate a 70th wedding anniversary. She celebrated her Platinum Jubilee, which marks 70 years on the throne on February 6, 2022. Now, she was one of the most popular monarchs in UK's history. The Queen was a globally recognized symbol of the British monarchy and its resilience in a changing world. You got to give her credit. She hung in there for 70 years. That's a lot of shit to go through. Elizabeth, however, wasn't supposed to become queen. I don't know if you saw the uh, TV show The Crown, you would know this. The the, The role was actually thrust upon her unexpectedly. She was born Elizabeth Alexandra Mary in London on April 21st, 1926 to the then Prince Albert, Duke of York and his wife, Elizabeth, Duchess of York. The princess had been third in line to the throne when her uncle became King Edward VIII in 1936 upon the death of his father and Elizabeth's grandfather, King George V. But then... Edward, as we know, abdicated that year against the advice of the British government and the Church of England so he could marry Wallace Simpson, an American who was divorced. That was a no-no back then. Well, I don't know if it is anymore because isn't Prince Charles married to Camilla and isn't she divorced? Now, Elizabeth's father was unexpectedly crowned King George VI as a consequence, and the course of her life in UK history was altered forever. Now, there was a uh, there was a movie about King George VI when he took over the crown. Remember that story? Apparently, he stuttered and had a little trouble speaking to the subjects, and it was kind of it was a good story. It was kind of heartwarming and stuff. Now, in 1952, George, who had battled ill health for several years, died at the age of 56, and Elizabeth, who had no brothers, became queen at age 25. Now, if you watch The Crown, it was like, hey, uh, Elizabeth, you're now the queen. And she was like, what the fuck? <laughs> she probably didn't say that, but that was the, 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 the mindset at, the point, at that point. She had married Prince Philip of Greece and Denmark whom she met when she was 13 years old. That's a little weird. Less than five years earlier, the couple had two young children uh, at the time. So she became the Queen of England kind of unexpectedly. But she rode that thing for 70 years, and she is now dead. Prince Charles is now going to be King Charles. His son, William, will be second in line to the throne. Again, it's a sad time for the people of Great Britain. It's a sad time for the royal family, and a lot of people around the world love the queen. I can't say I love the queen. I can't say I didn't like the queen, because I didn't know shit about the queen, because the queen really has no bearing on my life. But it is notable. She was there for 70 years, and... uh, she, she'd she been queen of Great Britain or England all of my life. I'm 62, so I didn't know of any other king or queen of Great Britain. But she has passed now, and there's going to be a lot of stuff going on. There'll be, um, I don't know, some kind of event where uh, King Charles is coronated. That might not come for a month or two. But the moment she died, he became the king of Great Britain or England or whatever we call it, the UK, the United Kingdom. And so he is now the king. Now, I just want to mention one thing. We're going to take a break here in a minute. On TikTok, I've been hearing a lot of people saying, oh, no, the queen died. This is the start. And then all the conspiracy theories come out. Apparently, the death of the queen was a trigger. We're going to have 10 days of darkness. Don't even know what the fuck that means. I get so tired of these people spewing conspiracy theories on TikTok or YouTube or whatever, and they never come true, but they, then they just move the, 
the goalposts back and they say, oh, it didn't because of this. Now this is going to happen. I'm going to tell you something. These conspiracy theories, don't give them a second thought. They are bullshit. You've got some clown out of nowhere telling you what's going to happen to this world on TikTok. (laughs) These motherfuckers probably wouldn't be trusted to watch their nieces and nephews. Don't let them tell you what's happening to the world. Don't believe the conspiracy theories and uh, all the bullshit. Now, that said... (laughs) If you don't hear a podcast for the next 10 days from me, you know something happened. I was wrong. (laughs) All right. We are going to take a break and we will be right back. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. All right, we've been dealing with this situation where Judge Aileen Cannon, a district court judge, has agreed with the Trump lawyers to get a special master to look at all the documents that the DOJ and the FBI has now that they've confiscated them from Donald Trump. These are the documents, the top secret documents that Donald Trump stole. Now, she said, we need a special master. What could it hurt? Well, we know that what it could hurt is national security, just that, nothing big. And uh, the DOJ was kind of upset about this. And then something was released talking about how Donald Trump had documents that pertain to nuclear weapons from another country. That's a whole nother level of fucked up. So the plan was that on Friday, today, they are supposed to come up with a list of both sides are supposed to come up with a list of possible special masters, which doesn't make any sense because, well, a special master has to have the clearance to see this shit. So the DOJ and Merrick Garland did something that actually was pretty brilliant. The U.S. Department of Justice responded on Thursday to the controversial ruling by Judge Aileen Cannon, who ordered the special master. DOJ files notice of appeal in case where judge effectively froze the Trump documents investigation and imposed a special master to filter material for executive privilege. New York Times correspondent Charlie Savage reported DOJ is asking judge to stay the part of her order that halted the investigation and would require showing classified documents to a special master and says will appeal if she doesn't do that. So what they're basically saying is, you know, all the stuff that could be executive privilege or attorney-client privilege, we'll give you all that shit, but we don't want you to have some clown go over classified documents for obvious reasons. We don't know who's looked at them at this point, but why would we give some other clown the opportunity to expose all these secrets So basically what they said, what they're doing here is kind of giving her a way out because after she made this decision, she is getting all kinds of heat. And it turns out in her decision, she made all kinds of mistakes. What she's doing is essentially obstructing justice. What she said was, you can't do the investigation anymore on any of the documents, but you can still look into the possible damage it did to the country's national security. Well, the DOJ is saying, well, that's fine, but we can't look into the damage of the security of the country without looking at the documents. So as much as you sound like you're giving an inch here, you basically shut us down in all aspects. And then he made a point, uh, Merrick Garland or the DOJ made the point in the uh, in the uh, submission, that uh, any time that's 
left where we're not working on this could cause irreparable harm to the security of this country. So they're basically saying, it's on you, bitch. You're fucking up this country. Now she's got to think twice about this. The filing noted an urgency to investigate what was in the empty folders with classification headers. The same is true of the empty folders with classified banners that were among the seized materials here, the DOJ argued. The FBI would be chiefly responsible for investigating what materials may have once been stored in these folders and whether they may have been lost or compromised, steps that, again, may require the use of grand jury subpoenas, search warrants, and other criminal investigation tools and could lead to evidence that would also be highly relevant to advancing the criminal investigation. The filing said Trump had never disputed that he has no property, possessory, or other legal interest in classified records. In no dimension does Donald Trump have ownership of any classified documents. None. He can't claim anything. He can't get them back. He can't claim ownership. So basically, they are giving this judge an off-ramp, an out, because things aren't going to go well for her if she continues with this process. And hopefully with the backlash that she got, she maybe sat back and listened and says, oh, that was a dumb fucking idea. Alan Kohler Jr., the assistant director of the FBI's for counterintelligence, also filled or filed a six-page affidavit in support of the DOJ's motion. Legal experts quickly took to social media to analyze the prosecutor's move. Former Department of Justice spokesman Matt Miller said the DOJ filing is its biggest bullets. Cannon's order has already forced Office of Director of National Intelligence to stop its risk assessment and further delay will further harm national security. National security lawyer Bradley Moss wrote, This DOJ motion reiterates over and over what I've been stating on CNN and MSNBC for three days now. There is nothing for a special master to do with the documents containing classification markings. They are government property. They do not belong to Donald Trump. Now, former acting Solicitor General Neil Katyal said that this is really smart. This is a savvy move by the DOJ. Um, Former um, federal prosecutor Renato Mariota said this gives the Judge Cannon an opening to back down from the most problematic parts of her ruling, avoid appeal, and keep the investigation moving. So what the DOJ said, yeah, what you just told us was bullshit. We're going to give you a little lesson here. You can't stop everything because the classified documents have nothing to do with Donald Trump. He has no ownership. So to shut all that down, you're you're potentially damaging the security of this country. Well, that's not going to look good on a resume. So what's she going to do? If she's a complete fool and she does what Donald Trump and his fucks do and double down and still tries to push this, well, it's going to get appealed and she's going to look even dumber. She's kind of in a no-win situation here. She must back down. That would be the smart play. Back down and save your fucking career. Because if she doesn't back down, this may cost her her career. Maybe not for six months, a year, year and a half, but ultimately it will cost her her career. So <laughs> we're going to see what uh, what comes out of this. I know that she made one comment um, handing this document over to Donald Trump's lawyers saying, what do you think? Now, this puts Donald Trump's lawyers in a world of trouble, too. Because they don't want the documents involved in the investigation. They don't want the investigation because they know it's going to put Donald Trump in jail. But what do they do now? Do they come out and say, all of these documents were declassified? Well, that's a flat-out lie, and these lawyers already have kind of a problem with lying to the FBI and the DOJ. Or do they say, yeah, okay, let's do it. 
That's really the only answer. And the DOJ and Merrick Garland did a masterful job of putting these people in a corner to get them to act appropriately. They're giving them the opportunity to back down and do what's right, or all hell is going to break loose. It will get appealed. That appeal will win. They may try to bring it to a higher court, maybe the Supreme Court, but it won't work because they gave her the opportunity to do what's right. And if she refuses to do it, they're going to lose every fucking appeal. So I give Merrick Garland credit. I give the DOJ credit. This was a tough situation. And I'm sure Donald Trump and all the little trump thought, oh, we got you now. Well, not so fast, because Merrick Garland isn't stupid. Now, the people who were thinking that they were going to get the DOJ just got got by the DOJ. Now, since we're talking about people who just got got, <laughs> we can't help but talk about Steve Bannon. So Steve Bannon turned himself into authorities in New York on Thursday as he faces new criminal charges reportedly related to an alleged fraud, fraudulent scheme to build a wall on the U.S. border with Mexico. Now, the weird thing here is, is that why was he collecting money to build the wall? I could have swore that Donald Trump told us that Mexico was going to pay for it. But apparently that didn't happen. So Steve Bannon says, oh, dear Lord and Savior, I'll help you raise some money. So he does that. He raises like $25 million. Funny thing is, there's still no wall. Nothing was built with it. And apparently a million of those dollars he peeled off and put in his pocket, which is highly illegal. It's so illegal that he's already been convicted of the crime. Yeah, he was taken to federal court for this very crime. He was convicted, he was put in jail, but then pardoned by Donald Trump. So why is he going through this problem again? Isn't there double jeopardy? No, because we're talking about two different jurisdictions. We're talking about federal court, and now we're talking about state court. Entirely different situation. Now, what's interesting about Steve Bannon, he said, this is all phony stuff. This is lies. This is a hoax. Really, Steve? You've already been fucking convicted of it. The only reason you're free is because Donald Trump, that dumbass, pardoned you. But it's hardly fake if you've already been convicted of the very same crime. It's likely that the state court, the state trial, will go pretty much like the federal trial. It'll be the same evidence, all the same arguments. And, of course, he will fucking lose, and he will go to jail. Now, this jail term could be anywhere from five years to 15 years. He's in his 70s. Maybe it's a life sentence for him. But that's not where the problems stop for uh, Steve Bannon. You'll also remember he was recently convicted of uh, contempt of Congress for not complying with a subpoena. He got two counts he was convicted of. So that means he could be in jail up to two years. So while he's in the process of this, of this trial that he'll no doubt be in the middle of, unless he pleads out, he's awaiting the sentencing on the trial he already lost. Steve Bannon is done. Now, here's something else to consider. The reason they wanted to talk to him with the January 6th committee is because he has inside information about the insurrection. And I'm just saying, maybe he has some involvement in the insurrection. I seem to think he does. He was the one that went on his podcast and was inciting the, um, the uh, violence. He even said... All hell is going to break loose tomorrow. He said that on the 5th. So it's conceivable that as the January 6th committee hearings continue and the DOJ's grand jury of the January 6th insurrection continues, he might be caught up in that too. He could very well be convicted of a crime regarding the insurrection. So for all intents and purposes, Steve Bannon he has been taken out of the equation, taken out of the uh, uh, narrative. He is done. <clears throat> now, of course, he says, I have only begun to fight. <laughs> Good one. But here's the thing. 
He's only begun to fight, but he surrendered (laughs) to the Manhattan District Court. Oh, he's a fighter, all right. In fact, when he was in his last trial, he was talking shit outside the courthouse. But when he went in there, they didn't even they didn't even have a defense. He did fucking nothing. That's why he was convicted. So he talks a good game. He also said, I'm never going to shut up about this. I'm going to expose everything. Somebody needs to tell Steve Bannon that once you're in jail, ah, you don't get to do a podcast. Nobody's going to listen to your shit when you're in cell block G eating shitty food and dealing with people of your kind, meaning fucking criminals. Now, according to the Washington Post, prosecutors in New York have been looking into Bannon's role in a $25 million fundraising effort that aimed to make good on one of former President Donald Trump's biggest campaign promises, constructing a wall to keep migrants out of the U.S. Yeah, we got to keep those brown people out of here. For God's sake, that's the one one promise he made. But but again, he also promised that the Mexicans would pay for it, and that didn't happen. Federal, federal authorities allege in 2020 that Bannon spent nearly $1 million of the We Build the Wall funds on himself, paying for home renovations, a luxury SUV, a golf cart, jewelry, and other expenses, with the ex-White House advisor pleading not guilty at the time. Trump pardoned Bannon later that year, but a presidential pardon does not preclude charges at the state level. Whoops-a-daisy. <laughs> Steve thought he was free and clear, but not so much. Now, in a statement Tuesday to NBC News, Bannon dismissed the New York prosecutor's allegations. This is nothing more than a partisan political weaponization of the criminal justice system, he said. I'm proud to be a leading voice on protecting our borders and building a wall to keep our country safe from drugs and violent criminals. Well, fuck the violent criminals are the people that support you. Honest to God, I'd rather let the brown people come across the border than these trumple fucks continue the way they've continued. Many critics have argued that a complete wall on the southern border uh, would both be costly and ineffective. Of course it would. The initiative was spearheaded in December of 2018 by an Air Force veteran, Brian Colfage, who launched it as a GoFundMe campaign that elicited millions of dollars in donations over its first week. Colfage aimed to secure $1 billion. Yeah, good idea. Now, Bannon stepped in to help after the crowdfunding platform questioning whether the funds were going to go to a legitimate construction effort, suspended the campaign. The initiative letter became a nonprofit called We Build the Wall. The group eventually built a three-mile stretch of fence along the Rio Grande, along with a half-mile wall outside of El Paso, Texas. Cole Fage and Florida venture capitalist Andrew Badalato pled guilty to the federal fraud charges in April and faced sentencing in December, a federal case against a third organizer, Colorado businessman Timothy Shea, ended up in a mistrial in June. Well, so you see what's going on here. There's a few problems for Steve Bannon. His partners in crime already pled guilty on a federal level. His partners pled guilty. They admitted what they did was illegal. And then you have the other aspect. Steve Bannon accepted a pardon. Now, when you accept an, a pardon, you have to admit that you committed the crime. So by taking that pardon from federal in, in, in incarceration, he essentially confessed to the crime. So now he's going to do a trial on this same crime in state court. But somehow he says he's not guilty. Yeah, I don't think the state court's going to see it that way. I don't think he's going to have much luck with this. I think Steve Bannon is going to jail. And to be perfectly honest with you, good riddance. That's one down.
Now, former President Donald Trump is getting all head up. He's mad at the Lincoln Project. You know the Lincoln Project. They do the commercials. They tear Donald Trump apart. They do it with truth and fact and righteousness. He says he's going to sue the Lincoln Project. He said this on Thursday. And the Lincoln Project co-founder Rick Wilson gleefully accepted the challenge. <laughs> Donald Trump always threats lawsuits, threatens lawsuits, just as bullies, bullies always make threats. Very rarely follows through with them, and he's got no room to actually sue the Lincoln Project. Now, anybody can sue anybody for anything. But this motherfucker's in about a million lawsuits. I don't know where he's going to get the money or the time to fucking do this one. In a video posted in the wake of Trump's angry truth social tirade in which he attacked both the perverts and lowlifes of the Lincoln Project and Fox News for airing the group's ads, Wilston posted a video where he dared the former president to file a lawsuit. I love that. So so he goes on to say, since you threatened to sue the Lincoln Project this morning, go for it, Wilson said. Go for it, bitch. Come at me. I can't wait. We're delighted by the thought that you would try to sue us, Donald. Go ahead. Do it. Wilson then protected, predicted, however, that Trump would back off his threats to file lawsuits. You're not going to sue anybody, Donald, he said. You're not going to do shit. You are weak. You are impotent. You are flabby. You're sitting there at the bridal suite of the Mar-a-Lago or the bridal suite at Bedminster, grinding your gears, wondering why the Lincoln Project. No matter how many times you try to kill us, we keep coming at you. Wilson then listed off a litany of Trump misdeeds, including stashing away top-secret documents at Mar-a-Lago and trying to block the peaceful transition of power by inciting a riot before finishing off with a profane send-off. <laughs> I love this. Donald Trump's making these threats like he thinks he still has power. From the moment Donald Trump stepped into office, he was weak. He's an insecure little fucking punk that thinks he can bully his way through. And he got away with some of it while he was in the, the Oval Office. But most of that, all of that power has been stripped away. He's losing supporters by the day. He's having money problems, even though he stockpiled $120 million, um, of donations. He's still having problems. Nobody in the Republican Party is collecting as much money as they once did. This is working against him. He doesn't know what else to do with the Lincoln Project. He can't shut them up, so he thought he'd try to scare them. Well, apparently Rick Wilson isn't fucking scared and is daring him to file the lawsuit. And I will agree with Wilson. That lawsuit is never going to come. It's not going to happen. He doesn't have the balls. He doesn't have the courage. He doesn't have the wherewithal to file any lawsuit. Because even if he did file the lawsuit, he would quickly lose. All right, this is an interesting story. We're going to wrap things up with this story. And I don't even know what to think about it. A guy by the name of Harry Hursty. Now, it's interesting. The guy spells his name H-A-R-R-I. I assume it's Harry. But he bought about 200 used voting machines without incident. But the one he purchased on eBay last month is now the subject of a state investigation, with Michigan officials determined to find out how the device ended up for sale online on eBay. Well, I hope to God uh, left him a good review. We are actively working with law enforcement to investigate allegations of an illegal attempt to sell a voter-assisted terminal acquired in Michigan. Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson, who is up for re-election in November, announced in a statement last week. And in an additional tweet, Benson noted that the voting machine was originally from Wexford County and clarified that it was not used to tabulate ballots. The Dominion-made apparatuses are built to function as voting machines or ballot printing devices. In Michigan, they were used to print voter ballots. 
But still, how does one get a hold of something like that? Now, the U.S. Election Assistance Commission says voting machines should be meticulously inventoried and kept under lock and key in a tamper-proof location, preferably within the election office. Hursty is a cybersecurity expert who is often contracted by state-level election officials to test vulnerabilities in voting machines. That's why he brought the Dominion ImageCast X machine as soon as he saw it online. He told NPR during a phone interview, I've never taken a look inside of one of those, he said, with some excitement. Now, the U.S. Election Assistance Commission says voting machines should be meticulously inventoried and kept under lock and key in a tamper-proof location, preferably within the election office. So this Hursty forked over like 1200 bucks in an effort to clarify any lingering questions about the ImageCast X provenance. He sent an email to Michigan's Secretary of State office alerting them of the deal. It's something he does whenever he buys a device online, he explained. It's a good thing he did. They didn't know a device was missing until they started looking to see if there's a missing machine, Hursty said. So I give the guy credit. He did what he was supposed to do. So he's probably not in trouble. As of Wednesday, the machine was still in the same unopened box it arrived in nearly two weeks ago. Hursty said he is waiting on the FBI or some other law enforcement agency to pick up the 2020 device from his home in Connecticut. I'm waiting to find out if it was stolen. That would make it illegal or not. If it was not, then the machine is mine and I can get started on his analysis, he said. CNN has reported that the eBay seller, Ian Hutchinson, who lives in Ohio, found the Dominion-made machine on a Michigan Goodwill website for just $7.99. He snapped it up, then immediately put it up for sale on eBay. Hutchinson did not respond to NPR's request for comment. In the post on eBay, Hutchinson stated that the device had been used in the most recent Michigan elections. How did that even get through? How does eBay not take something like that down? I had years where I sold things on eBay, and uh, they're pretty particular about those things. And given all that's going on with the 2020 election, the claims of election fraud, you would think they'd be sensitive to this sort of thing. Now, meanwhile, Michigan is one of the several swing states, including Georgia and Colorado, where officials have launched investigations into possible election tampering or interference by Donald Trump supporters who hope to subvert the 2020 election. In nearly all cases, the election deniers claim they are searching for evidence of voter fraud. For Hursty, one of the greatest threats to voting device is not necessarily hacking, but human incompetence. The 54-year-old is an expert in the field. He's been featured in two documentaries, Kill Chain, The Cyber War on America's Elections, and the Emmy-nominated film Hacking Democracy that pull the curtain back from the U.S. election system. Both offer an unnerving glimpse into the weaknesses of today's technology. Well, that's certainly a weakness if we've got 2020 voting machines available for sale on eBay. Yeah, we've got a problem. It kind of goes back to what I was saying about the norms in the White House and uh, with these top secret documents. Everybody thinks it's highly illegal to do these things, but they're not necessarily crimes. They're, They're norms, and people are pushing the envelope, and then they're not getting any pushback. Hopefully they'll find out who was involved in putting this in a goodwill. I'm guessing some Trumplefuck had it, then got nervous, gave it to goodwill. They didn't have to leave a name or anything like that. Then this guy buys it for seven ninety nine at Goodwill. He puts it on eBay, sells it for what thousand bucks or whatever, and everybody makes money and everybody's happy. But in the process, of course, this shows how weak the security is around our election machines. And it's also interesting to find out when there is tampering with the election machines, it's not the Democrats, it's not the libtards, it's the Trumplefucks who got their hands in on this. They knew they were going to lose the 2020 election, so they were trying to game the system. And, well, it didn't fucking work. 
So if I hear more about this, of course, I'll let you know. It's another stupid fucking story that we're having to deal with after all is said and done. We're going to wrap up the Rational Boomer podcast. I hope you have a great day. Remember, I've got uh, another podcast coming with listener. I think her name is Emmy. And then I'm going to do one with Ed. I'm going to do some regular podcasts. So we got a lot of material, a lot of content coming your way over the next few days. So stick with us here on the Rational Boomer podcast. I hope you have a great day and we'll talk to you again tomorrow, if not earlier. Thanks for listening to the Rational Boomer podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll see you next time.